Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, the Bad, and the Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Now, in spite of our colloquial expressions up to this point, we are not, in fact, going to be actually living in this temple that Solomon has built, just as we have not been sleeping in the tabernacle tent. Solomon comprehends this better than anyone else thus far, and says as much in the midst of his prayer in 1 Kings 8 and 1 Chronicles 6. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. We have used language to help that habitat understand that this is a house for my name, not for me. We are working very hard to make sure the whole God is small enough to fit in a building attitude does not happen. By the way, you realize you don't have to be in any specific building, synagogue, or church for me to hear you, right? You might feel like I'm more there than out on the sidewalk, but I've got news for you, friend. What you're feeling is associative resonance which is fine as long as you get that. But keep an eye out. <laughs> Your feelings do not create reality. In fact, they frequently combat it. However, I have assented to David's and Solomon's requests and plans to build this house for me slash my name in order to intentionally cultivate those very associative feelings that sense of our certain nearness and presence. The mobility of my ark and its movable nature, while speaking volumes theologically about our omnipresence, is in many ways no longer capturing the imagination of my people. Your habitat does not have a corner on short attention spans. In a manner of speaking, I have led the people exactly to this point. We have been portable all the while they have been moving about, first in the post-Egypt wilderness wanderings, and then in the drawn-out conquest of the Promised Land. As the nation's borders advanced, retreated, and advanced again, we have been able to stay beside them all the while. Again, note this has been promoting perceived proximity. The rather simple perception of some of the people has been that I moved from my house atop Mount Sinai into the ark-slash-tabernacle in order to be able to wander about with them. And now, like someone abandoning their Winnebago in favor of a landed home again, I'm taking up residence in a newly built house at a fresh location. Now that the nation's borders are set at their promised limits in what has the potential to be a more or less permanent demarcation, yes, we will have a good deal to say about the permanency of the nation's borders sooner than we would like. A permanent temple makes a great deal of sense from the human perspective right now, 
and we are all for anything that helps them sense our real nearness and our very real concern for them. By now you've learned that we have no problem repeating ourselves. Sadly, our children act all too often like yours in their less mature days, so focused on their play or point of interest at the moment, that if they manage to physically hear what you've said through the screen of their alternate focus, there is still a great chance they have not, in fact, listened to what you've said. When there is no evidence to indicate they've actually processed your statement, you generally repeat yourself, often with raised volume or some other device to increase the likelihood that what you are seeking to be heard, absorbed, understood, and incorporated by your children has had its desired effect. And so I sit Solomon down after all the moments of glory in the past few episodes. Lest the fact that I have indeed manifested myself as placing a smidgen of my presence in the temple should go to Solomon's head and make him think he can coast from here on out, I repeat very clearly what he has heard before with a bit of a raised volume to make sure it sinks in. For now that we are in this place to which we have brought ourselves and our children, the stakes of life just got higher for the king and his people. Once again, this is too important to simply reference, and I know half of you are not able to look at things right now. If you can, pull out your app or whatever you're using and turn with me to 1 Kings 9, the first nine verses. You Bible nerds can track with the parallel in 2 Chronicles 7, 11. Here's the lick from Kings. When Solomon had finished building my temple and the royal palace, and had achieved all he had desired to do, I appeared to him a second time, as I had appeared to him at Gibeon. I said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, mostly, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But. If you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has Yahweh done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken Yahweh their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why Yahweh brought all this disaster on them. Thus, as you can see and or hear, I again make very big promises. 
but you should also be able to see that I've raised the volume in both directions, in terms of the really good, awesome side of these promises, as well as the pretty tough, dire side of the consequences of promise breakage. Answer to Solomon's specific requests for our attention to be continually aimed at the new temple, I pledge that I have put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time, which raises the volume a good bit, wouldn't you say? Then, for good measure, I lay out Solomon's requirements again. To walk with upright integrity, obeying my directives, again for which I have very good reason, in response to which I'll keep my promise regarding the throne of Israel, having a direct descendant of David on it forever. We previously discussed how high the volume already is on that promise. Extra juice in this go-round is the detail with which we unpack the consequential side of the people of Israel's failure to keep faith with and in me exclusively. We are not requiring perfection of them. We have very clearly made allowance for sin in our answer to Solomon's request to forgive the sin confessed to us in or at the temple. We are requiring that the people not turn to other gods and worship them, that after all we have done for them, they not two-time me by sending a little prayer in the direction of their neighbor's god just in case that one has some kind of power over their particular crop or coop. This is all about relational fidelity, folks, for Solomon and for you. Breaking my law is as much about breaking relationship as it is about breaking protective rules. It's like a marriage at this point, right? No one expects their spouse to be perfect, but everyone expects their spouse to be faithful. Exclusivity is part of what binds the two together. Humanity gets the remarkable chance to be bound with me, and they can expect me to be perfect and they can expect me to expect exclusivity as well. Marriage, one spouse exclusively. Me, one God exclusively. And just as there is major fallout and consequence in any marriage in which one of the partners strays in terms of exclusivity, so it is, and more so, when the stakes are up at the God level. But frankly, using the term stray to describe such infidelity falsely lessens the sound of its severity and importance. It sounds like it has something to do with a dog or cat that has accidentally gotten loose and lost its way. To put a finer point on it, there is nothing accidental about adultery, which is what we are talking about here. Let's put away the word stray for the time being and instead use more accurate synonyms for infidelity, treachery, disloyalty, and betrayal. Every one of you who's had a spouse betray you for another knows exactly what I am talking about. Should Israel turn her back on me and commit spiritual adultery and bed herself with other local gods by worshipping them instead of me, in doing so, Israel of her own free will ends the covenant we have made with her. She releases me from my promises by breaking hers. And so, to make sure this nation that I have set aside to be my very own, that I have nurtured and protected, 
for whom I have fought and provided to ensure it is very clear how much our exclusive relationship means on a very grand scale, I make clear in no uncertain terms that if they betray me with other local gods and no longer worship me exclusively, then all that I have sustained and provided as part of our exclusive relationship with Israel will be forfeit. In particular, the land that was promised and provided, and now the temple that we have now blessed and made our communication center with Israel, will no longer have my hand of protection over them. All will be open to the threats of the other nations whose gods Israel has chosen to bed with. In a very real sense, this very sober conversation with Solomon states that should he and or the nation decide it's better to worship other gods rather than us, then those other gods will be the ones to take care of Israel, not me, according to her choice. And yes, there are all kinds of things we could say to further unpack this dynamic concept and its ramifications in human marriage and the like. But for now, let the stark reminder we have just made to Solomon stand and ring in his ears and yours for a while. By now, you know me well enough that you've been hearing the parallels in your own life as I've talked about Israel and Solomon of old. And so, mind your allegiances, my friend. In the end, it is that in which you put your trust that will either rescue or ruin your life. Trust fully in me, and place me alone on the throne of your heart, and I will have your back and every other part of you from here to beyond the end of time, as we walk together on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, Give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.